This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com. We're back with more Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio presented by Shark Club. J.D. and I love heading to Shark Club. You have a week left of Canucks games to go there. They will have all of your NHL playoff action. Uh, They're a sports bar. That's what we love about Shark Club. Come eat, drink, talk a little trash. Corner of Georgia and Beattie. Weekly happy hour specials. Need we say more? Find out more at sharkclub.com. As mentioned, hour number two runs until 4 o'clock. You can join us. Up until 4604-280-1040, 1844-876-1040, email live at tsn1040.ca, text us at 104040. We'll be interactive throughout this final hour. Coming up on the program in a bit is Corey Hergott to talk about the Utica comments. Exciting times with Utica because they are playoff bound. We know the reinforcements are coming from the National Hockey League as soon as the Canucks season is over, that would be in the forms of Reed Boucher, mm-hmm. Tyler Mott, yep. Nikolai Goldobin, Ashton Sautner, Ashton Sautner, sadly not Adam Gaudet, and Demko, I suppose, could be up for another week, but seems to be a little up in the air given the illness to Anders Nielsen, but Thatcher Demko, currently a Vancouver Canuck. And Cole Lind is expected to join the Comets as early as tomorrow, according to reports. It had been suggested to me that once the Kelowna Rockets were done, which they are now after a sweep at the hands of the Tri-City Americans, that uh, Lind would be joining the Comets as soon as possible. And so you'd think as Utica prepares for a game on Thursday in Toronto, that Cole Lind would be available for that hockey game. And so great to see continued development as it goes for Canucks prospects. We'll get to that next segment a little bit later on in the show, but we'd like to touch on right now the youth movement upon us at the NHL level. Namely, Adam Gaudet, Nikolai Goldobin, Jake Furtanen continue to play bigger roles as the season winds down. As players with injury have been ruled out, as you've already alluded to, J.D., Mm -hmm. basically those that are able to be shut down for their best interest or in the interest of getting others ice time happen. And so all of a sudden we're seeing Nikolai Goldobin play on the top line with Bo Horvat. We're seeing Jake Furtanen on the power play mm-hmm. playing and some net front. A three on three. I like the net front idea of Jake Furtanen. I was asking Brooke Ward this earlier this week. When's the last time the Canucks have had a sizable powerful frame like for tan and play net front is it ryan kessler maybe zach cassian i mean he played there i don't know if it worked but he did play there <laughs> i i can't think <laughs> of a time on the power play consistently where you could throw Vertanen out there a guy like for and potentially get the results of having a big guy play in front i would love to see that become of a bigger part of jake's role L- have him learn through this process how you'd like him to play there mm-hmm to the point where it's automatic. Like Jake Furtanen is a net front power play guy. And for Adam Gaudet, we touched this a little bit near the top of the show in our 2 o'clock hour. But more responsibility, more ice time, 
defensive zone draw, for example, in game number two as opposed to zero in game number one. More minutes, 13 and change for Adam Gaudet in his second NHL game. And still doing those little things that were trumpeted about Gaudet coming in that are going to help you make him a successful NHL player in his role. So as we bring up those three names for Tannen, Goldobe, and Gaudet, we'll double back to the poll question. TSN1040.ca. Who do you want to see more of in the last week? Demko, Gaudet, Vertanen, all of the above. TSN1040.ca or at TSN1040 is the way to chime in via Twitter and collectively on the web. Of the three names we just threw out there, Gaudet, Goldobe, and Vertanen, as it pertains to Ford's JD, who's fresh in your mind? Who's top of the list for you to to talk about after the Canucks' most recent game. Well, funny you should ask. I've actually got an article in the works right now. It should be going live tonight for the Athletic Vancouver. Going to be talking about Nikolai Goldobin and the way that Travis Green has turned his season around. And, and for me, it goes back to the beginning of March because there were those comments from Travis Green. He says, I'm sick of Goldobin making the same mistakes over and over again. And from that- I was too. Oh, I think everybody was. I, there were a lot of defenders for Goldobin, a lot of people agitating for Goldobin to play more. Myself among them, I had given up on him. I was listening to a radio hit, doing some research on Canucks Army that I did with Halford and Bruff on TSN, and I'd said, I'm done with Goldobin. I don't know if he's going to be an NHL player. And since then, Travis Green changed his tact, started dangling a carrot instead of hitting him with a stick, and all of a sudden he's got five points in 11 games. That's about a 40-point pace over an 82-game season. He's got some of the best two-way numbers on the Canucks. When Goldobin is on the ice, the Canucks are controlling about 51% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5 five five since Travis Green made that switch, playing him with Bo Horvat on the first line with UC Jokinen. Some good chemistry there. I liked what he did in that Chicago game, the one where he had the two points, the, the spinorama assist to Bo Horvat. And I just keep coming back to this. Who's going to set up all these, play, all these snipers in the Canucks lineup? Because it's not going to be Gadjevich if he makes it, or Lockwood, or even Gaudet. They need somebody to get them the puck. And that is why I like Goldobin and have patience for him. Because they need that skill set in their top six. And I think it's working with Bo Horvat. And if you want to take it a step further, this is where it gets really interesting. If Goldobin continues in these final three games to show that he can have some level of competency playing on that first line with Bo Horvat, doesn't that make the discussion about what to do with Sven Berchi all the more... Like it, gives viable. Canucks, it makes it more viable. The Canucks have more levity. It gives them options that weren't present even a month ago. So his development for me is a huge storyline for the Canucks. And I will even go as far to say as go as far as to say if Goldoman finishes the season strong, he is Travis Green's best developmental success of the season. Because who else are you going to say? Is it Jake Vertanen? He's right where he was two years ago. Well, let's yeah, let's get to Vertanen in a moment. But for now, Goldie. Uh, does that change your mind on even Leipzig playing on that Horvat line then? I like the idea of a Leipzig, Horvat, and Goldobin line. So Leipzig would, who would play the right then? You put Leipzig on the right. Put Leipzig on the right, keep Goldobin on the left. I think you can work with that. Just for this final week, let's say Leipzig comes back. Mm-hmm. because Or are you talking big picture? I shouldn't assume. Uh, I'd be talking this week because we don't know what they're going to look like next year. We know the Canucks uh, are going to be active in free agency. They don't have a choice but to be. They've got cap space. They're going to have openings if the Sedins don't come back, which to me is about a 50-50 proposition. 
there's going to be some level of upheaval. Are you open to playing Brock Besser elsewhere, though, I suppose is what I'm getting at? In the Oh, geez. When you go into next year, uh, that's where it gets really interesting to me because, again, I like the idea of having a playmaker. I just don't know if Goldobin can play. Uh, well, actually, no, he could play the left side. That's right. So you put Goldobin with Horvat and you have Besser on the right. I like it. I'd experiment with it for a week or two. Because that's where, that's where my attention goes is, okay, I'm, I'm running with the assumption that Besser's playing beside Horvat. So now let's see who's on the left. Like, that's the spot that Goldobin is auditioning for. Mm-hmm. Are his numbers defensively, or how did you phrase it again? His two- on-ice shot numbers, his two-way profile. His two-way profile. Are those better because of who he's playing with, Horvat and Jokinen? Like, do they complement him and maybe make up for some of his deficiencies, or has Goldobin rounded out his game a little bit? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with something that you're not expecting. I'm going to trust my eye on this because when I watch Goldobin, I'm seeing somebody who has a commitment to the details that wasn't there two months ago. And a lot of people like to say That's it's been the biggest knock with him. The details. The details, especially backtracking. He, he used to get really lost. He'd make really sloppy changes. I don't see that from Goldobin anymore. I see somebody who's applying pressure when the puck is moving the other way towards his own end. And that's the little kind of thing that's going to win over a coach that I didn't see a month ago. And that is why I'm convinced that it's not a coincidence that he's doing well in this role because uh, I don't think it hurts that he's playing with Bo Horvat, but Bo Horvat doesn't exactly have a long track record of carrying a good two-way profile. That's a relatively new development in this season. So I'm not going to give Bo Horvat all the credit. He does a lot of good things offensively, but he's failed mostly to live up to his draft day reputation as a defensive player. That's a work in progress. I see Goldobin coming along, and I like what I see. And I agree with you that offensive upside has always been there for Nikolai Goldobin. Uh, We're talking about the defensive side of his game perhaps evolving. I still think offensively he has to understand the high percentage play. And I don't know if that is part of this process as well. It's tough for me to isolate that and determine on this, even in this final week of the season, if he has understood that. And what what I mean by that is... When is the right time to use your skill and try to battle one-on-one or battle one-on-two? Or when is the right time to read the play and realize that the high percentage play based on your team changing, for example, based on where the other 40 is on the ice as you're breaking into the attacking zone, based on how many defenders are between you and that forward, where guys' sticks are, like have a read on what's in front of you and make the high percentage play. And I don't see Goldobin doing that enough. It might be resigning to carrying the puck into the corner and supporting your line mates, allowing them to change depending on what side of the ice you're on, and then taking some body in doing that. Or it might be carrying the puck into the zone on the wing and, heaven forbid, chipping it deep mm-hmm. instead of cutting to the middle, toe-dragging, losing it, and now being... The high man caught with no support in the middle of the ice because your line mates are changing. Like, the high percentage play does not always mean the highly skilled play. And I'm not suggesting Goldobin change the way that he originally approaches the game. I'm not asking Goldobin to get rid of skillful plays. I'm asking Goldobin to intelligently assess the play and react accordingly. You know to what? stick in the NHL and to be able to play in the top six. 
I don't disagree with that, but one thing that I've noticed already that I think is a really good sign is remember Travis Green was talking about working the low to high passes. That was something that he brought up, I think, in about uh, February, if memory serves, and how that was an element of their offensive game plan was to work those low to high passes. See it a lot on their power play, and a low to high is it is what it sounds like. It's when you get the puck down low on the half wall between the hash marks and the goal line, and you're working the puck back up to the point. And in that context, I'm seeing somebody who's learning to work within their system, and I'm starting to see developments from Goldobin when he knows that he has to parachute from a play and and those it's not it's not what you're bringing up but it is another positive sign that tells me he's starting to get it that is and even go back to within the last two games he's working on the half wall better to uh, play off of the momentum gained by his line mates i can think of the setup for pouliot that won the game against the oilers Jokinen's doing the spade work goldobin finds a soft area but goldobin already knows where the guys are around him and so as soon as the puck comes out from Jokinen to goldobin who's top of the circles but has found some space he doesn't waste time making an extra move he's got that puck on and off his stick into pouliot who's breaking into the zone who can then make that beautiful finish move and kudos to pouliot for that but there's there's a hint to me that goldobin is seeing the plays around him better because if he puts his head down and tries to skate past the defender that's pressuring him, mm-hmm. well, yeah, maybe he swings it wide and still finds Pouliot on the back door, but maybe the, the puck is taken away in that one-on-one battle and the yeah. simple play, which is to hit the guy coming in with speed on his toes in Pouliot, was negated. Well, this time it wasn't. He made the simple play and still have to credit for Goldobin for creating space and using it. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean by the high percentage play. It doesn't always involve trying to use your one-on-one skill or use your high-end skill to make a play when it's not there. And it sounds strange, maybe, to put it into that in that phrasing, but that's what I still need to see more of from Goldobin. Before we get into Corey Hergott, let's talk for Tannen quickly. Jason Botchford, we already mentioned Ben Kuzma. Uh, we do love to give our scribes, city scribes, credit here. Jason Botchford in the Pravis last evening had an interesting assessment of Jake Furtan and throwing out the numbers. And so, J.D., I abruptly turned my chair to you in your direction, indicating that Jake hasn't changed from this year and the numbers he's put up out of his first year. So is he a different player than he was in his rookie season? I, I I saw Jason Botchford's The Provies, and I think everybody who follows the Canucks should. It's it's great reading after the game, well worth staying up for. Uh, the Jake Vertanen bit just... It's tough because I've even fallen into the trap a few times this season of saying, he's developing, he's developing. And as he points out, the numbers just don't bear that out. And it's... You know, we we give him credit for every little step of progress that he's made uh, with the idea of what happened last season fresh in our minds. But objectively speaking, he's a sixth overall pick, 21-year-old, and he's got, what, 20 points right now? It's it's not looking good. And and here's what really concerns me is that the things that Jake Vertanen needs to develop his game, 19 points in 72 games, the things he needs to develop his game to that next level just aren't there. And I think that in four years from now, he's going to be the same player he was this season, which is the same player he was two seasons ago. He's going to have that same speed. He's going to carry the puck well. He's going to have that tireless work ethic that gives him a good two-way profile, even if his positioning isn't exactly up to up to par. I, I just... So Jake Furtanen this year is basically what 
Jake Bertan in, in his Canucks career will be. Is that what you're s- suggesting? I think so. I think that's that's the betting favorite for me because he's got as good at, like the physical tools are all there, and physical tools can't be taught. I, I'm willing to grant that, but you can't teach somebody to process the game. You can't teach somebody to keep their keep, make themselves available in a give and go play to know which parts of the ice to go to. And here's the thing: if you look at Jake Vertanen's shot, Brock Besser's, there isn't that significant a difference. Objectively speaking, it's that Brock Besser puts himself in position to score with that shot, and he knows when to go high. I mean, how many times have we seen in these last few games Jake Vertanen sail a shot 20 feet over the net? Because he's always looking for top corner. He's not taking the high percentage play. And it's partly positioning. It's partly not being able to work in speed. He never finds space. And it's partly just not being selective enough in his shooting. I think that Jake Vertanen is what he is, and I think that that is a David Booth-type player. And you know what? That would be fine enough if it was 16th overall, but we're talking about somebody taking 6th overall. And uh, you just feel for the guy because he has to bear those expectations, whether they are of his own doing or not. We will get back to this before the end of the program. Coming up next is Corey Hergott to talk Utica Comets, and that does apply to the current Vancouver Canucks, but it also applies to what's coming from the junior ranks, most notably Cole Lind, very soon. So we love to have Corey join the program and great timing for him. One for the road before we go on Jake Vertan. And in our text message inbox, Unsigned writes, I've been a big supporter of JB. I'm happy he finally appears to be playing his game without the weight of the world on his shoulders. Although, potentially, it's still there, as you put up. JD, but quite honestly, I don't see him as a net front player. When he was playing with the Twins, you could see his instructions were to position himself in front of the net. Again, unsigned, folks, we'd love to give you credit for your opinions. Uh, usually, they are spot on to our conversation, this one included. I was referencing Jake as a net front guy in the power play and being very excited about that. Don't know if he is completely transformed into a net front guy at evens or off the rush. But we'll find out if we'll discuss whether that's part of his growth as well as we continue on with Nation Network Radio. Hour number two with you until four o'clock. Join us up until four. Corey Hergott to talk some comments and what the Canucks have coming around the corner as we continue. Presented by Shark Club on TSN 1040. We have to focus on Utica. They are playoff bound. Six games to go in the Comets season. But potentially as early as Thursday against the Toronto Marlies, we may hear... The name Cole Lind mentioned as it relates to the comments. Uh, Corey, happy Easter. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. And we appreciate you uh, joining the program during the festivities of this weekend. Uh, Are you as excited as JD and I are to see what's next for the comments and particularly in adding guys like Cole Lind? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just seeing what Jas- Lucas Jasek did in his first game yesterday was uh, pretty impressive. And I, I don't expect every young guy to come in and put up three points right away. But uh, it's nice to see that these kids are getting opportunity. Um, Trent Cull seems to be doing that all season. Uh, part of it may be due to the fact that he's had so many injury and call-up issues that Rookies like Breezeball and Chatfield and Dow and McEwen have been getting plenty of prime time ice ice time. Um, but it's good to see that they're using these guys when they get their chance. Well, that's just it, Corey. 
I mean, potentially there are Canucks fans that forgot about Jacek. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time since we've mentioned him as it pertains to the Canucks. And yeah, that signing surprised me for sure. I uh, I was uh, taken back a little bit when I saw it. I was excited right away. I sent a message to uh, Dylan and made sure he knew of the signing because I know he's a, a bit of a Jassic supporter or has been in the past. Jassic truther. How do you expect him to be used then? Like, isn't this prime time opportunity for him as well before some of the uh, the players attached to the comments who are with the Canucks come back? Yeah, well, that's just it. Like, um unfortunate for Zach McEwen that uh, the game previous to last night he got rocked hard by a big hit and uh, had to leave the game and he wasn't able to play last night so Jacek kind of slid into his spot on the line with uh, uh, the other ATO guy Tanner McMaster and uh, Michael Chaput and he was getting some some decent minutes on that line he also played with Wacey Hamilton and uh, Michael Carconi a bit so he's going to get probably some kind of middle six minutes I would guess and one thing that you brought up when we were talking yesterday off the air about Lucas Jasek's debut in the Canucks Army chat is that you were surprised by his work along the boards. He's not a one-trick pony, somebody who has to score to be contributing, although his three points certainly helped yesterday in the 6-5 win over the Springfield Thunderbirds. Uh, what can you tell us about his game from your one viewing thus far, stylistically, anyways? He's tenacious. He works hard along the boards. Uh, he's a good possession player. Um, he was coming out of puck battles with guys that were a fair bit bigger than him, and he he was coming out with the puck. So um, he's got a little bit of that, a little bit of a Yannick Hansen uh, thing along the boards there. I I kind of thought anyway he was kind of like like that honey badger sort of not going to give up until I come away with the puck sort of a thing, and he can skate. He's got some pretty quick wheels on him, and uh, that the goal that he scored last night, he got away a pretty nice shot to get to get that one in the net. And another rookie, a professional rookie in North America anyways, Jalen Chatfield scoring his first professional goal yesterday. What can you tell us yes. about his progression with the Utica Comets? I've been waiting all year to write about Jalen Chatfield's first goal. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's a player that I have all kinds of time for. Every time I see him, all I think back to is when Chris Tanev first joined the Canucks. I'm not saying Chatfield is Chris Tanev the way he is now. But the way he plays the game is the way I remember Chris Tanev when he first broke in. Um, he takes a hit to, like, absorbs the hit to protect a puck. He's quite good in his own end. And the guy can skate. He's silky, silky smooth on his blades. Corey, we have many current Canucks to talk about that uh, have relations to the Comets. Let's start with Ashton Sautner since you're going on blue liners. I've been impressed with the steadiness of his game at the NHL level. I didn't think that he would fit in so seamlessly, and to be honest, I thought it would be a cup of coffee. Well, it appears to be that uh, his reliability, at least in the short term, has turned the head of Travis Green, although I don't know how it stacks up with Alex Biega being re-signed to a tier contract extension. I realize they play in different spots on the ice, right and left, but do you see it being a difficult road to the Canucks as long as Biega is there? I kind of wonder if um, if Sautner might have gotten his deal because they think he might be a guy that can move up and down as a as an injury replacement. Whereas I think they feel maybe Biega might get claimed uh, by another team. Um, Sautner's been like this all season in Utica. He's not super flashy. He doesn't pile up points, but 
he can he can defend. He's uh, he's good in his own end. He's super reliable. He plays. Uh, he's a minute muncher there in Utica. He plays the penalty kill, and uh, he's been. I mean, his offense isn't huge. He's, I think he's got 12 points this year. But he is jumping into seams a little bit more. He has been putting a few more pucks on net than he was earlier in the season. I just, I think he's one of those guys that can just be that, uh, you know, third-pairing, extra-defenseman kind of guy that's going to be steady and reliable and isn't really going to hurt you. Corey, there's much to like when it comes to the Comets making the playoffs. Uh, I'm just so thrilled that, Many of the American League prospects, if you will, will get the chance to have postseason experience. But I'm equally excited for those playing with the Canucks that are going to be uh, sent down. When you think of Goldobin and Boucher and Mott joining the Comets team, how different does that make their approach to the postseason? And how much of a threat are they even if they meet a team like Syracuse? Well, I think, I mean, if they wanted to, they could kind of leave those put those three together uh, as a line i mean i i believe i believe that mott plays uh center uh boucher and and gold open both play either wing equally as well as the other um so they could bring those guys in and just drop them in as a unit and not really affect some of the other lines if if they're getting some chemistry um they're going to be getting some guys back from injury and they've got all these pto guys there too uh still so it'll be interesting to see how they how they shake the lines out but getting guys like goldobin and boucher i mean uh boucher is still the leading scorer on the team uh and goldobin i believe would be sitting fourth behind uh or fifth behind zach McEwen right now so that's a big boost of offense to come in uh right at the right time of the year Corey Hergott joining us to talk Utica Comments. You can find him on Twitter, at Corey Hergott. That's uh, Corey, C-O-R-Y, Hergott, H-E-R-G-O-T-T. And Corey, I got uh, another question for you here about the Utica Comets. Uh, John Abbott was telling me that they had Andy Zilch on the program uh, earlier this week talking about the Comets' playoff run and how they might use their goaltenders, uh, mm-hmm. especially if they're playing somebody like the Syracuse Crunch, for example. Uh, Abbott was saying that Zilch told him there's the possibility that they could run with a tandem or even get Richard Bachman a bit more involved than that in the playoffs. How do you see it shaking down, shaking out, if... Thatcher Demko is sent down to the comments. Well, I think well, Andy's around the team a lot more than I am, so he's gonna he's gonna have a little bit more knowledge of the the inner workings there. Um, but I have, I mean, I, I believe me, I'm a big Thatcher Demko guy. I've been a fan since the minute they drafted him. Um, but Bachman isn't any slouch. He's, his numbers haven't always been great this year, but the guy's a battler. Uh, he plays hard. The team uh, seems to play well in front of him. Um, obviously, I'd rather see Demko get the starts, and I'd like to see him go on a long playoff run because I think that uh, that would kind of cement him as being a guy that's going to make the team out of camp next year or at least have a, a very good opportunity to. I think a, a long playoff run for Thatcher would be huge. Well, we're talking about important prospects to the Vancouver Canucks, and one whose name seems to come up at every press conference, every time Jim Benning has the opportunity to bring him up, is that of Guillaume Brisebois. And one thing I've noticed reading your recaps on CanucksArmy.com, and believe me, if, you, if you're a fan of the Canucks, you're missing out if you're not doing it, is that Guillaume Brisebois has really taken a step forward offensively, at least in terms of his production in the post-Philip home landscape. Can you take us through his season and why he might not have been hitting his stride earlier? What's gone into that turnaround? Well, 
I think part of it is he's played the bulk of the season on the right side and he's a left shot defenseman. Um, I spoke with Jeremy Davis about this uh, maybe at the start of the season this year and and Jeremy said, I believe now, uh, Jeremy said that uh, Breezebaugh did play a bit of the right side in junior in his last season as well. Um, But since moving back over to the left side, uh, he's been paired mostly with uh, Jamie Cyphers, who's a a really good, hardworking vet, uh, older fella down there in in Utica. Um, But he's he's super stable. Uh, When Breezeball was paired with with Philip Holm, Holm was jumping up into the play a fair bit, and Breezeball was hanging back a little bit more. Uh, When Breezeball played with Sautner as his partner on the left-hand side, Breezeball got the jump up a little bit more in the play, but now with with Cyphers being more of a stay at home guy, Breezeball is getting the chance to uh, get up, and uh, he's finding seams. He's shooting the puck a little bit more, but he's only got sixty five shots on the season, and I think that's part of it. I think he needs to use his shot a little more because he doesn't have a bad shot. Corey, we really appreciate your insight uh, as far as the comments go and as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks and enjoy your work as well, Corey Hergott, uh, as it applies to Canucks Army and at Corey Hergott on Twitter. Thanks for being with us this Easter weekend. Thanks for having me on, guys. Happy Easter. Same to you and the fam. And the Utica Comets, just taking a quick peek at their schedule, I told you they had six games left. Well, they're broken up into three, three and, th- or sorry, two, three and threes. So if Thatcher Demko is looking ahead, he might wish to stay at the NHL level even more than for the obvious reasons. Comets this week go into Toronto on Thursday, then back to Utica against Toronto on Friday, then into Syracuse on Saturday. And the final week for them is the 13th, 14th, and 15th of April, playing at home to Syracuse, on the road, in Binghamton, or excuse me, in Belleville, then finishing at home versus Binghamton. So three and threes in two separate weeks to end the year for the Utica Comets, who are already into the playoffs. But it'll be those toiling parts of the schedule that the Comets will have to get through and then get ready for the postseason. And you can expect that the... Vancouver Canucks will have reinforcements ready once Game 82 is played. Great stuff from Corey updating us on Jalen Chatfield. And you're right, uh, Breezebois, I believe, Patrick Weirkosh sustained an injury as well. Um, so I'm not sure the status of that, but he would be of interest when it comes to veterans leading a playoff run. And I sure hope it's Thatcher Demko for yep. the long run for the postseason. And that remains to be seen as it plays itself out. For now, we're enjoying Thatcher at the NHL level. We'll talk deployment, and some of that involves players headed for the Comets when you consider Nikolai Goldobin amongst them. But deployment at the NHL level for Travis Green in the final three games the Vancouver Canucks will play forthcoming this week. It's our final segment. Nation Network Radio presented by Canucks Army on TSN 1040. You can still join us on the program. Feel free to phone us up, 604-280-1040. Text us at 104040. Email live at tsn1040.ca. We have some submissions to get to. Please sign those, folks. We'd love to give you a shout-out on this Easter weekend as well. The poll question on tsn1040.ca. We'll wrap it up in a couple of minutes. Who do you want to see more of in the final week of Canucks play? Demko, Gaudet, Vertanen, all of the above. tsn1040.ca, at tsn1040 on Twitter. Email inbox as it pertains to tanking. For one thing, the general manager is tanking. It's not the Canucks playing It's half the Canucks playing, plus a rookie goalie, 
and they sold a player at the deadline. Wins can come any time during the season. It's called parody. Sutter did not look for that reporter. The microphone was presented to him. A few percentage points does matter, but the point is how much does it matter? Not so much the last couple of years from Dennis. Mm, the Toronto Maple, Maple Leafs might have something to say about that. Well, if you're talking about the Canucks' <laughs> luck in the draft, yeah, they are unlucky. Yeah, And they've done a lot with the fifth overall pick, I'll say that. Yeah, But in both those years, you're looking at top three at worst, and it just didn't happen. So, yes, I agree with Dennis in the sense that what are the players supposed to say, although I didn't expect the complete shot right back the bow at the at the fan base and so there's there's the understanding from both sides is what it takes really when it comes to those cheering for better percentages at a higher pick and that's understandable from the player's side and the fan side i believe we'll move on from that briefly to get to deployment as it pertains to this final week of the season as it relates to this final week of the season for travis green jd you're keeping track of some of the the younger players, less experienced guys, you already enjoyed the fact and stated and you were happy to see Goldobin play beside Bo Horvat. You feel there's some chemistry building there. What do you need to see in the final week here? I need to see signs that when this team is good, Travis Green is going to put them in the best possible position to succeed. And when I see Brandon Sutter playing 21 minutes last night, it gives me reason for pause. It gives me a moment of pause because he's on the ice. The Canucks are getting outshot 57 to 43. That's a huge margin, okay? That is like below the Mendoza line of what is acceptable at the NHL level. He's playing close to 20 minutes a night. He has 22, sorry, 23 points on the season. Not acceptable. Uh, These are the things that I kind of notice. They stick out to me. Why is UC Okanen playing so much? That's another one that bothers me. I would almost rather see Tyler Mott in that role than UC Okanen. Because what's Okanen going to contribute to the Canucks for? Another two years? Eh, I don't know. I'm not a soul. I get you, but yet isn't it rubbing off well on Goldobin, or are you not buying into that? Yeah, Goldobin was doing well before the the Jokinen component of that line. If you look at that that line when it was Leipzig, uh, Horvat, and Goldobin, their numbers were actually excellent. If anything, some of the on-ice stuff has taken something of a dip since that adjustment. So uh, I don't think I'm going to give him a ton of credit there. I think UC Jokinen is a hot hand right now, and it's certainly he's due those bounces based on the moribund luck that he had to start the season but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's the the driving factor on that line in my estimation Uh, I would just like to see some young players be put in positions to succeed Uh, and and I'm not seeing that in in, in some cases you know I like to see Gaudet playing center I like to see him getting defensive zone starts things like that I like Uh, even if you go as far as Goldobin on the first line I enjoy that too just little nitpicky things you know, I, I don't want to see Sutter playing 21 minutes tonight. I know he's got a contract that is uh, quite the, the albatross around this team's neck. $4.4 million for a guy who's putting up 23 points on the season. Uh, but as a coach, you can't really let that dictate your your coaching, your deployment. And if that were Do the, the case, Canucks need a shutdown line then? Like, that changes potentially who you pencil in for next year. If you believe they could roll without a true shutdown line, then you probably don't have Archibald or Mott there, which means maybe you have Gagne in a different role since he's already 
tied up in a, into a contract? Like, is there a middle ground for you, or do you believe that they could roll with a shutdown line? Because I think it's hard to have a shutdown line and not expect Sutter to play bigger minutes. Well, I, to me, it's a question of if it's working, it's one thing. It's not working, though. The Canucks are getting outscored with Sutter on the ice. They're getting outshot when he's on the ice, and their goals rate is way down into the down into the basement of the league when he's out there. It's it's not working. That's the problem for me. If if Sutter was on the ice and playing like Manny Malhotra in 2011, that is a shutdown line that I can play 17 minutes a night without a moment for pause, or without a reason for pause. But it's when you're getting 23 points out of somebody making 4.4 million who just uh, 10 goals 10 goals on the season that's the the issue isn't tanking that's the issue for me is that one of their most relied upon players can't produce at even a rate that's halfway commensurate with his salary is 13 and change the right number for Gaudet if you and then maybe it goes up with power play time or would you like to see him like if we're talking about reducing Sutter's ice time are you are you giving more of that to Horvat and just playing that line a bit more because it has Goldobin on it? Or are you willing to, can you bump up Godet to 15 at this point? You can do both. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see the Bo Horvat line ascend to the point where they're the first line, not just in terms of the, the discussion of the team, but they actually lead the team in ice time. That's what I want to see. This is Bo Horvat's team now. They need to make that transition as clear and transparent as possible. They need to have Adam Gaudet playing as much as possible because look at the roster crunch on this team. The Sedins come back, they're up to 24 players accounted for at the beginning of next season. I'm not even sure if Gaudet's going to be able to make the team get him the opportunities now. Well, there's a whole lot of roster juggling, personnel juggling that the Canucks will have to do ahead of next season. That's to be certain. Recapping the poll question, who do you want to see more of in the last week? And the winner... By a long shot, 74% is all of the above. That was Demko, Gaudet, and Bertanen classified. And, uh, folks, I'm with you. If Demko is here, let's see more of him. The other two go without saying as far as Gaudet and Bertanen. Games Tuesday against Vegas Golden Knights. Thursday against the Arizona Coyotes could be the final home game for Daniel and Henrik Sedin. We don't know that, but it could be. And that home game against Arizona has implications as it implies as it re- relates to the, the draft and the standings. And then the final game on Saturday in Edmonton. That's what's in store for the Canucks. We'll be back on Saturday, by the way, from 3 till 5, an extra little half hour there as well. It's Nation Network Radio. Find us on iTunes as well. On behalf of Renal Desai, J.D. Burke, I'm John Abbott. Thanks for listening to Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club on TSN 1040. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.